You're listening to the weekly broadcast of Grace Church, an independent Bible teaching church in Wichita Falls, Texas. This week, as we approach the end of 2021, we look back at four series that we covered together in the previous year. With this week's message, here are several different members of our pastoral team. As has been what we do on this last Sunday of the year, we take a moment to reflect on what God has taught us this year through the scriptures, through the word. And so we're going to do that this morning. You're going to hear from four of us. I'm the first of the four. We had four major series that we covered this year. So I want to tell you that there's more than what we're going to cover in each of our times. And so if you are drawn into that, what we would invite you to do is go back into our podcast. You can listen to them. Uh, you can watch them through our Vimeo service. And so if you find yourself saying, oh yeah, I remember that and I need to go through that again, I would be blessed if I walked through those lessons again, then you've got the opportunity to do that. Our preaching series uh, began the year in Micah. And so as we talked about Micah, over and over again in the course of that series, we had people saying, did you plan this for now? Because it sounds awfully similar to what we're living through. And so we talked about the fact, no, God plans our sermon series. That sermon series had been planned about 18 months before last January. And so we talked about Micah the prophet, and we walked into it, and it was a dark time. And so as we talk through that, God is upset. He's bringing judgment because these people who were his people that were intended to reflect his character in the world are doing such a poor job of it. And so he says, I'm going to come and I'm going to bring judgment. And so he outlines some of what's going on in their community. Things like this. Woe to those who devise wickedness and work evil on their beds. And when the morning dawns, they perform it. My people are so wicked, they lay in bed plotting and scheming about the evil they're going to be able to go out and do in the morning. And then when morning comes, they go and do it. They covet fields and they seize them in houses and they take them away. They press a man in his house, a man and his inheritance because they're just stealing from everybody. They're taking what is not theirs. There is a powerful group that is taking whatever they want, and there is a group that is being oppressed. See, this sounds like it could be written today. God goes on to say, but lately my people have risen up as an enemy. My people are enemies. You strip the rich robe from those who pass by trustingly with no thought of war. You just take advantage of everybody that you can take advantage of. The women of my people, you drive out from their delightful houses. You continue to oppress and take things which are not yours. You don't care for those that don't have much power in our economy. Then he says, arise and go, for this is no place to rest because of uncleanness that destroys with a grievous destruction. If a man should go about and utter wind, utter wind and lies and say, I will preach to you of wine and strong drink, he would be the preacher of his people. He said, you don't even care about the truth anymore. Matter of fact, you know who you would want? You would want a person who would come and say, just have a drink because the way you live doesn't matter. That's who you want to hear from. You don't want people that stand up and tell you the truth. You don't want people that will call you to a higher way of life, to a way that God calls you to. You're looking for whoever will say what you want to hear. Matter of fact, here's who you found. You found people that would preach to you about wine and strong drink. He goes on, and as he talks in this passage, he goes on and in the book, and he says, but let me tell you, it's not always going to be this way. 
There's gonna be a great day where God brings healing and the oppression is gone and we will be restored and there'll be healing and there'll be health and it's gonna be incredible, but that's not today. Matter of fact, you're gonna go through a really dark season before we get there. And in the midst of all the darkness, when we talk about what God was calling them to do, in the midst of a world that had gone haywire into wickedness, God calls attention to the individual. He said it this way, he has told you, oh man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. This wasn't new information. See, back in Deuteronomy, God had said it this way, and now Israel And now Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. See that first line, and now Israel. Well, the nation has gone astray. And as it has gone astray and the country has gone away into evil and wickedness, because it's the same question we ask, right? I can't control culture. I can't control my nation. What do I do? And we go from O Israel to O individual. And O individual, here's what is good. Here's what the Lord wants to show you. So he talks to us, and he talks to us about what it looks like to do justice. It's, it's going to have to be this way, that we learn to relate to one another in fairness, in honor, caring for one another, but we can't get there until we learn how to love kindness. And that's that word that is God's hesed, the way that he cares for us, this loyal love, and the way that he steps towards you and me. Because it's not until we learn how to love kindness that we actually know how to do justice because we carry the heart of the Lord into our relationships. And how do we learn to love kindness? Well, we learn to love kindness as we learn to walk humbly with our God. The recognition that I am not God, he is God, and I need to walk in the humility of that. And what we see in this is the reality is that we go from an internal attitude to an external practice. Because that due justice has to begin with learning how to walk humbly with God. Because it's only in that that we learn how to love kindness. It's only in loving kindness that we now carry that out into the world and have the capacity to do justice. Over and over again in the history of Grace Church, we've been asked our questions about politics and why we don't make public stands. Some of you may know this. As a church leadership team, we have an agreement that we will not politic for candidates or issues that are political in nature. That's why I don't see signs in our yards. It's not that we don't vote. It's not that we don't call people to that. But the reality of what we learn in Micah has shaped our church. And so there's this reality that we live in. And so if you've not understood that, we'd love for you to understand is that in the same way that the prophet Micah addressed a national problem that required an individual solution from O Israel to O man, the individual, our elder board has remained steadfast that the problems and issues that we see in our own nation require an individual solution. Therefore, as has been our longstanding position in regard to politics, our elder board remains committed to not taking positions on behalf of the church regarding any local national, political issue, or candidate. The reason for this position is grounded in the mission of Grace Church. This is who we are, to raise up mature disciples of Jesus Christ, thus equipping individual believers to act as they are led by God regarding political issues and candidates. As such, we encourage our faithful body to carry the message of Jesus Christ to our nation and beyond by using your passions, gifts, and skills to demonstrate His love, truth, and redemption to those who are impoverished, marginalized, and and hurting. 
That's how we will change this world. And that's the heart of our church, is that in the same way that Micah had to come before the people and say, this is what God asked you to do. And a culture that's gone haywire, you can't control the culture. But the question is, what can you do? What can I do? We can learn how to walk humbly with our God. And in doing so, we will learn to love kindness. And then we will have the capacity to step out in this world and do justice. Micah's name means who's like our God. And the question was, at first, well, nobody's like our God. Our God is alone. And the second part of that was we're called to be like him, that we call to carry his character in this world. Join me in prayer. Father, as we step into this and we talk about who is like you, we recognize Israel didn't always share your values to love kindness and to do justice. Father, the question we've got to ask is, do we? Do we share your values? And so if you would, just quietly where you're sitting, ask yourself that question. Lord, do I value what you value? If the answer is yes, then I'd encourage you to ask the Lord this. Lord, show me how I might walk humbly with you, that I might love the kindness that you've shown me, and that I might carry that into the world around me. Father, it's with that heart we ask you to mold us, shape us, and conform us to your son. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, continuing, coming out of Micah, we jumped into the book of Galatians. And starting in March, we, we walked through this book written, it's a letter written by the Apostle Paul to these churches in Galatia that he had helped start. And we started right off the bat with, with Paul saying that I, I'm shocked that you're so quickly abandoning this gospel. He says, I'm astonished, in fact, that you're abandoning this gospel, that I was just there, I was just teaching you, I was just walking with you, and so quickly you're abandoning this gospel and turning to something different. You're turning to something else. And before we continue, we, we said gospel in this series hundreds, if not thousands of times, over and over again, we came back to this one true gospel that Paul was so adamant about. This gospel means good news. The good news is that the God of the universe loves you. That if you don't hear anything else this morning, we want you to know that the God of the universe loves you. No matter your story, no matter your background, no matter your past, no matter the mistakes that you've made or the regrets that you have, God looks at you with love. And he proved that by sending his son Jesus to die on the cross. And that that he wanted to offer us a way to be in relationship with him, that our heavenly father wants a relationship with us. This is the gospel that Paul is presenting. And so we think, okay, well, how do I get that relationship with God? It's up to me, right? It's up to my works. I have to do good and not do bad, right? That's, that's how this system works. And Paul said, no, this true gospel is this, that we know that a person is not justified. Justified means being made right with God by works of the law. It's not through our own effort. It's not through our own works. Instead, it's by faith in Jesus Christ. And so we also have believed in Jesus Christ in order to be justified by faith in Christ, not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. No matter how good you are or no matter how hard you try, that you'll never be able to earn your way to God. 
In this series, we talked about the idea of, of merit badges and that I was a Boy Scout for a few years growing up and I earned a few merit badges. And if you're unfamiliar with the Boy Scouts, the, the merit badges is a system you get to, you know, you check off a few boxes, you learn some skills, and when you learn enough of them, they'll give you a badge to say, I know these things. And then if you get enough badges, you'll earn a new rank. And then if you get a, enough ranks, you'll, you'll earn that coveted Eagle Scout. And the merit badge system is great for the Boy Scouts, but it's terrible when it comes to our relationship with God, because what the merit badge system says is that I have to be good enough to earn my way to God. And Paul says, no, that's not what this is about. And the the tagline we had through our series was this, that if the gospel plus anything equals legalism, that if we try to add anything to the gospel, if we try to front load the gospel with works or cleaning up your act, we just end up with legalism. This is where the churches in Galatia were heading We say, okay, I get that. I I get that it's not up to me to be justified before God, but but everything after that is up to me, right? Like, justified by faith, and then I live my life as a Christian by trying really hard. And Paul would say, no, that's not it either. He says, in fact, the, the righteous, the righteous shall live by faith. That not only is justification, that being made right before God by faith, but sanctification, the process of becoming more like Christ throughout our lives, It's also by faith. And so this faith that we live by, Paul tells us it leads to some incredible things. He says in chapter 5 that that it leads to freedom. And that it's for freedom Christ has set us free. And so talking to these churches, he says, don't go back to that old way of living. You've been set free. Don't go back to slavery. And then he continues, he says, but But God's kingdom is an upside-down kingdom. This this freedom we have is different than what the world would say freedom is, that you're called to freedom, but you don't use that freedom for yourself. You don't use that freedom as an opportunity for your flesh, but instead, you use that freedom as an opportunity to serve one another, to love others. That we have been given this freedom through our faith to live this life, but it doesn't mean to do whatever we want. It means daily depending on Jesus. Daily trusting in him, daily walking by the spirit, trusting in God to lead you and guide you, not to serve yourself, but to serve others. And that when we do that, as followers of Jesus, when we wake up in the morning and we say, God, today I'm going to trust in your spirit to lead me, to guide me. I'm going to walk by your spirit I'm I'm going to give you control. I'm going to surrender my control and I'm going to trust you today. I'm going to live by faith today. We get what we wanted all along anyway. It says we get the fruit of the Spirit, this idea of love and joy and peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, that these are the fruit of the Spirit. Just before this, he had contrasted with the works of the flesh. When you try to work on your own, you don't get these things, but when you trust by faith in the Spirit, when you lean into his presence in your life, You get love and joy and peace. And that all of these things are available to you today. No matter your circumstances, no matter the situation you find yourself in, it's not if you work hard enough or do all of the right things, it's if you trust and walk by the Spirit. So that the gospel plus anything equals legalism. And we said we could take it a step further and say the gospel plus anything is nothing. That you're left with nothing. And so we challenged you to trust, to live by faith, and walk by the Spirit.
Let me pray for us as we continue our service this morning. God, we thank you for the gospel. We thank you for this good news that that when you look at us, you, you love us. Even though we don't deserve it, even though we could never earn it, you sent a way through your son Jesus that we could be made right with you, that we could be justified, that we could live in relationship with you, that you might forgive all of our mistakes and failures, that you've given us the Holy Spirit to lead us and to guide us into what it means to follow you, that we don't have to do it all on our own, we don't have to have it all figured out, that we can wake up each day and just trust in you. So God, I pray as a body of believers that we might do that heading into the new year, that we might slow down, we might pause, we might be aware of your presence, that we might lean in and trust you, knowing that when we do that, we get the fruit of the Spirit, this love and joy and peace that we all desire. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Last summer, we began a a series that we titled Hills and Valleys. It was a a look at select moments in the life of David. And so we looked at First and Second Samuel and we saw some of those proverbial hilltop moments, moments like David as a young boy being anointed as king or when David defeated Goliath in battle. Saw some of those, those valley moments in David's life, like when he was on the run from Saul who sought to kill him or, or when he committed that sin of adultery and then murder with Bathsheba and her husband Uriah or when he lost his son, Absalom. And in those hilltop moments, the highs of David's life, one thing that we saw him do is he he modeled courage and faithfulness. But but David's courage wasn't like the courage that our world so often uh, defines and upholds. He, He had a courage not founded in his own strength, but in the strength of the Lord. See, David defined victory as as following after and trusting in the Lord. And, And so, One of the things that we saw in David's life, one of the lessons that we could learn from those hilltop moments was that we recognize our own insufficiency and to trust in the strength of the Lord. That that when we find ourselves in those hilltop moments in our own life, that we recognize, look, I'm not here just because of how good I am, because of my own strength, because of how good God is. And so we we should memorialize those, those times when God provides and see his hand at work in our lives. But David also experienced some valleys. And, and I believe we actually learn more from the valleys than we do from those hilltop moments. We saw those low points in David's life, like, like when he committed that sin of, of murder and, and adultery. He commits adultery with Bathsheba, and then in, a, in an effort to sort of cover his tracks, he has her husband murdered. And we see that, and we go, man, I could never imagine doing something that bad. I can't imagine committing a sin that bad. And so, David, that was a horrible, horrible thing you did. And yet others of us, sometimes we look at that and we go, actually, I can kind of relate to David. I feel the guilt and the shame of my own sin, and I feel like, I do feel like I'm that bad. And I think either way, whichever of those you find yourself in, I think the reality that God wants us to see in David's life is, look, you are never, you are never outside the reach of God's grace and his redemption. But in that, in that moment, David, we, we could clearly see that the, the consequences of David's sin, it was a direct result. The valley that he was in was a direct result of his own sin. So sometimes those valleys are a result of, of our own sin, but, but other times... Maybe, maybe they're not. And, and so when we saw David on the run from, from Saul, 
We, we could even argue that, look, God, God actually did that. That was God's fault. He put God, I mean, he put David in the path of, of Saul's murderous rage. And so David didn't do anything to, to put himself in that situation. And so David could have asked, and, and oftentimes when we're in those valley moments, we might ask, God, how could you let me go through this? Why would you let me experience this valley? And there are a couple lessons that I think we can take away. There were many lessons that we learned from the life of David, a couple that we could take away from those valley moments. And the first is this, is that sin and, or suffering is always a result of sin. Suffering is always the result of someone's sin. You see, David was part of a lineage that goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden, where we saw Adam and Eve, who had the opportunity to to live and to stay in perfect relationship with their creator. And then they, they rebelled. They chose to define good on their own terms. And by sinning, they introduced suffering into a once perfect world. But the story of original sin wasn't just about a curse. It was also about a promise. And in that, in that moment, God made a promise that it would be from the seed of that woman that he would raise up a savior, a solution to the problem of sin and suffering. That, that from her forward, there would be this lineage out of which he would bring up Jesus to save us from sin. And David was part of that lineage. And so he recognized that the same God who made that promise is a God I can trust in my valleys, a God who can take my low points, my suffering, and he can redeem them for my good. He knew that he could trust God, and so we can look at David's example and we can see that in our suffering, God is with us, and he will bring about our good. And so what I invite you to do this morning as we go back into a time of of prayer and reflection is to consider maybe where you are right now. The past year has probably brought you through multiple hilltop moments and valleys. But I encourage you to consider where you're at right now and what it would look like to draw close to the Lord, whether you're on one of those highs or in a low. So let's go into into a time of prayer and reflection now. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful for the stories that we see in the life of your servant, David. Grateful for a chance as a church to examine those, to look closely at the stories of his life and to see not just his example, but but your presence, how you, how you walked with him, how you forgave and redeemed, how you raised him up, how you provided. Father, we, we experience a lot of hills and valleys in our own lives. So Father, I, I pray that now as, as, we, as we're here and we consider what this last year has looked like for us, where we're at right now, Father, I pray that you would invite us to draw near to you. So Wherever you sit right now and, and wherever you're at spiritually and, and whether it's a, a hill or a valley, I just invite you to consider that. Are you, are you in, a, in, a, in a high right now? And what does it look like? What does it look like to acknowledge the Lord's provision in that hilltop moment? What does it look like to memorialize the way God has provided for you, his strength to get you there? And if you're in a valley if you're in a low right now and experiencing suffering, what would it look like to trust the Lord with this time? To trust that he can redeem this suffering for your good. To trust that the same God who is with you now in this suffering is the God who gave us a savior to solve this problem of, of sin. So I encourage you to consider that now. Father, as we 
as we think through that, I pray that you would draw us near to you, Father. You know, you know where we're at, each and every one of us. You know what those hilltop moments look like, and you know what those valleys look like. Father, would you, would you draw us near to you? If we're experiencing victory and, and we're experiencing prosperity right now, would you just, would you just help us to see the ways that you've delivered and, and been good and provided for us? And for those of us who are struggling right now, who are enduring a, a season of, of pain, Father, would you just let your presence be very, very tangible to us. Let us feel you near to us. Let us trust that, that whatever we're going through right now, Father, you are good and gracious and you will redeem this suffering for our good. Draw us close to you. Draw us deeper into that trusting relationship you so desire for you, from each and every one of us. We pray these things in your name. Amen. We finished our year in 1 Peter. One of my favorite axioms in Bible study methods is context, context, context. When you study scripture, you always want to look at the context. And there's a real important point of context in 1 Peter. It's written by Peter. <laughs> I wish we had a photograph of Peter. I'm pretty sure his mouth is shaped like his foot. Because that's where he spent most of his time. Okay? One commentator has referred to Peter and called him ready, fire, aim. For you non-gun people, you're supposed to aim before you fire. Okay? Peter, here's the guy who when you go through the New Testament, if there's not anybody in there you can relate to, if you're like me, you can relate to him. He, he is always just, he's just getting into a mess with his mouth usually, which is what usually gets me in trouble. Some have characterized Peter as the apostle of hope. And part of the reason for that is because of that. Because of the way he looks in the gospel compared to the way he looks after Pentecost. And what we see in 1 Peter is he begins to write a letter as he's moving towards the end of his life. And he's going to be writing to people just like himself. People who sometimes are very aggressive, very excited, very ambitious, and sometimes are faltering and failing and scared. Peter denied his Lord three times. And yet, later in life, Peter chooses to be martyred, chooses to be crucified upside down when he is martyred. That's the transformation of Peter. Peter's story and Peter's letter is a message of hope to you and I. We characterize this journey through 1 Peter as a road trip. And the thing about road trips is there's always some anticipation. Never mind what type of road trip it's on, there's anticipation. You're either ready for it to be over or you're ready to get to where you're headed. But there's always anticipation. And we see that in the letter of 1 Peter. And he brings that out in the very first verse he tells us that we are exiles. There's three things that Peter wants us to know, this apostle of hope. He wants us to know three key points, and we're going to look at those real quick. The first one is we're exiles. That's how he calls us in verse 1. Then later in verse 2, we read this. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of, your fle of the flesh which wage war against your soul. He wants us to see that we're exiles and we're sojourners. You know what the key, key idea is, the thing that he wants us to think about there? This isn't home. 
we're not home. And then he introduces this idea at the very end. He says, which wage war against your soul. He brings in this concept of war. Not only are we on a road trip, but we talked about this. We're not on a picnic, are we? We're actually enemy. We're enemies behind enemy lines. We're in a world that's full of struggles and difficulties. And the second thing Peter wants us to know, it's not going to be easy. Look at what he says in chapter 4. He says, beloved. He's talking to other followers of Jesus just like him. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Do you know why Peter tells them not to be surprised? Because they were probably acting surprised. I don't know if you do that or not, but I'm going along, I'm planning, I'm, I'm trying to live my life the right way, and then all of a sudden problems come and, and difficulties arise, and I'm like, oh, how'd this happen? <laughs> yeah, you've been there, haven't you? Yeah. You think, well, if I live right and I do good and I think and I'm smart, then life's going to go well. And, and Peter's saying, no, you're on a road trip and you're behind enemy lines. So the first two things he wants us to know, one, we're not home, we're exiles, we're sojourners, we're in another place and it's hostile to us. That's the second thing. It's not going to be easy. But he's the apostle of hope, right? So he moves from that idea of that kind of heavy message. It's not going to be easy. You're in a place where there's an enemy and he's out to get you. And he wants us to know an important point, though. It's going to end. In fact, in chapter 4, he starts off, the end of all things is at hand. I got to walk you through that passage. The end of all things is at hand. If you're hurting, if you're suffering, if you're in a difficult time, it's going to come to an end. And then he puts it this way. He says this in chapter 5, and after you have suffered a little while, a little while. He used that phrase back in chapter 1. It's a constant theme. It's going to hurt for a little while. And the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself. Now notice what this one who's coming is going to do. The apostle of hope, he's pointing us to our hope. And look what he says. He himself will restore confirm, strengthen, and establish you. That's what this one that's coming is going to do. He concludes, to him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. The apostle of hope lived with hope. The apostle knew that the life of the followers of Jesus was not going to be easy. It was not going to be a picnic. And he always is pointing them to Jesus. And he wants them to think like exiles. He wants them to expect it to be difficult at times. And he wants them to know that the end of all things, the difficult things, is coming. But for you and I, the end of those things is the beginning of something new. You see, First Peter is all about having the right mental attitude. He says this in chapter 4. This is part of verse 1. He says, Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourself, now notice, with the same way of thinking. The same way of thinking as Jesus. That's what he's talking about. Peter wants us to have the same attitude that our Savior had. That we are not here to be as successful as we can and to be as productive as we can, to be as well known as we can, to be as famous as we can. If you can do those things, that's great. But that's not the goal. That's not the destination. The destination, it's a, it's a character. 
It's the development of who we are to be like him. The world tells you, hey, sin is fun. Sins make, when you sin, it makes you unique. I read a commentator not too long ago. He said, that's a lie. People who sin are all the same. Sin makes you the same. But as you become like Christ, as you become that new creation, who you were created to be, then and only then do you become unique. And as we're here in this difficult world, he's working on our character. And then one day he's going to call us home or he's going to come and get us. And then we're going to have the full consummation of being home and being, and here it is, the way we were meant to be. We talked about it last week, shalom. That word shalom means the way things are supposed to be. This is how we finished our year with a message of hope. But it's going to require a mental attitude. So as we move now into a time of reflection, I'm going to ask you, as I ask myself, to allow the Lord to show us, where do we need to change our attitude about this world? Why are we so surprised when it's not easy? Why are we so surprised when people don't like the message that we have? Why are we so surprised when people think we're strange? We need to have an attitude adjustment. And once we do that, then we can live with hope. Then we can be like Peter, whose transformation is amazing. And it wasn't finished yet, and neither is ours. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do need you to, to show us where maybe we've put down roots too far in this world. Maybe too many of our hopes are set on things working out the way they're supposed to be here. Help us to set our mind on you. Help us to follow your lead. When we're successful, let us be successful in honoring you and representing you in whatever we do and however we do it. Help us to love the way you love, to live the way you live. Help us, Father, to think the way Jesus thought while he was here. Ask you now to search us and show us where we're not doing that. Father, thank you that you're our constant guide and that you're willing and eager to lead us through the challenging things in this world. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to the weekly broadcast of Grace Church, an independent Bible teaching church in Wichita Falls, Texas. You can join us for worship Sunday mornings at our campus on Stone Lake Drive in Wichita Falls. Stream services live online at gracechurch.com or subscribe to our podcast published on Apple, Google, and Spotify. From all of us at Grace Church, thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.